Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for this 14th day of June. I'm Paul White. Today we are in Mark chapter 10, and we are in the 32nd verse. This has a what appears to be a chronological marker to start the verse. Now they were on the road. We don't know. I said this yesterday. We don't know that Mark's giving chronological order. In fact, it, it seems like when he is, he's very specific. He likes to use immediately's and nows. There's now they were on the road in verse 32. Verse 46, now they came to Jericho. Chapter 11, verse 1, now they drew near to Jerusalem. Verse 12, now the next day they come to Bethany. Verse 20, now in the morning. This And that's, that's just a slice. He does it over and over and over again. And it, it could just be his writing style. And it could be a way of saying, now there was this one time when this happened. And it, it feels more like that. However, he does put inside of this marker a conversation that would happen on the way into Passion Week, this is where the book really begins to turn towards the crucifixion of Christ. Let's read it. Verses 32 to 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. First, before we, I know I said we're going to read them all, and we will, but let's just stop for a moment. It's interesting to me that they, that Mark throws in that they are amazed. And we have to be dealing with the fact that Jesus seems to have set his face on this entrance towards Jerusalem to the point that they haven't seen Jesus this way before. They haven't seen him this decided before to where he's going to go no matter what and nothing can stop him. When you compare this story to the Luke version of this story, a lot of the stories from here on begin to look the same, um, particularly starting in about Luke 18, where Jesus blesses the children, then there's the rich young ruler, and all things are possible. And then this prophecy, followed by the blind man receiving his sight, they go to Zacchaeus' his house, they're in Jericho, they're heading into the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. So all of those things sort of lay out from here to the cross. But Jesus is a man on a mission, so much so that he sort of it appears as if he is a different person in this week leading to the cross. He And I think it's because he's heard from the Father. This is the moment. I don't believe that every second of every day of his life, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen next. I don't, because he's human, but he's God. He lives a life of faith. He trusts his Father to show him what he needs to know. And something changes in this moment. Jesus is now looking towards Jerusalem in a way that his face is set. Like they don't even walk with him. They let him walk out in front. And this is an unusual thing. They've walked with Jesus his entire ministry. Now he's walking faster. He's out in front of them with a face set towards what he's going to do. And so he pulls them aside and says this in 33 and 34. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, 
And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, this is Jesus doing a couple of things. One, he's connecting himself to the famous Son of Man character. If you are a Jew familiar with the old, what we call the Old Testament or what they would call their scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures, they have that prophetic sort of apocalyptic book of Daniel. And in it, there's a character called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man appears before the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom. Jesus frequently refers to himself as Son of Man. Now, that has a twofold meaning for, for biblical scholarship. One is that by calling himself Son of Man, Jesus equates himself with humanity. By being Son of God, he equates himself with divinity. The Gospels are sure to show us both sides, both the Son of God equated with divinity and the Son of Man equated with Adam. That mixture is necessary. In Christ, we see the best representation we've had yet of a pre-fall Adam. And this is why Paul will call him the last Adam, that this is a, a representative man. But the second sort of biblical scholarly reason why he's son of man is to connect him to the one who appears before the ancient of days riding on the clouds receiving a kingdom that cannot end. This is why when Jesus says to Caiaphas before his crucifixion, from here you shall see the son of man riding on the clouds, he's referencing the Daniel prophecy that I am that son of man and the riding on the clouds is the event of the arrival of the kingdom. By the way, Riding on the clouds is not the event of arriving on planet Earth riding on a cloud. It's apocalyptic language that points back to another story. So the first thing he's doing in 33 is establishing himself again as the Son of Man, letting them know that he's going to be betrayed and that he's going to be betrayed over to the religious leaders and that they're going to condemn him to death. The only way to do that, to the only way the religious leaders can condemn him to death is if he's broken Torah at least to some extent in their knowledge. And of course, they believe he's blasphemed God. And they also don't like his working on the Sabbath. They think that's a breach of the law, where what he's doing is bringing glory to the Sabbath. But So he's letting his disciples know it's about to sound really bad. It's not just the Romans that are going to do this. It's, it's the fact that their own religious leaders are going to do this. So they're going to have scriptural basis for this that they're about to pull. And I hope you can capture how big that had to be in the minds of the disciples. And then 34, they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him and the third day he'll rise again. The fact that Jesus says they'll scourge him, that word scourge is to be flogged and only the Romans did this. The high priests and the scribes do not flog. That's a Roman method of torture. The Jews did not have a method of torture in Torah. They, If they were to serve capital punishment, they killed. They didn't agonize. Agony is Roman. In these two verses, Jesus tells the disciples that the religious leaders of his own people are going to, be, are going to condemn him, but the Romans are actually going to kill him. 
And then almost an aside, and the third day he'll rise again. And of course, they don't really get that. We learn that from other scriptures. But I want you to see how Jesus connects himself to Daniel's prophecy, shows that it'll be both Jew and Roman. And we, we need to stop it if we're into this mode of, well, the Jews killed Jesus. No, the powers that be killed Jesus. And the powers that be were both Jewish and Gentile. Nobody gets off the hook. Everybody's equally guilty. All right. We're going to get hear from James and John, the sons of Zebedee, tomorrow on the podcast. See you then. God bless.